Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, y'all. It's Amber with the reminder at the top of the episode to join our Patreon. As you all know, you can find the link to our Patreon in the episode notes right below, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And also, you can join our Patreon for 50 cents, maybe a dollar. Can I get a quarter, five dollars, anything? Support the brocos. I'm a broker or you are? We're to hose. Together we're broke hose. Yeah, that's right. Also, patrons, reminder that we give away a book at the end of every month. And at the end of this month, we will be giving away the Ballad of Black Tom. Lastly, patrons, if you go check the Patreon, um, I left an exciting little video in there for you to check out. You are not to share that video with non-patrons, so that's a little treat for y'all. Anyway, let's get started with the show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci under the Believe Podcast Network. It's a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page of our marriage. Today is episode 55, and we took it all the way back, y'all. We will be reviewing the 1973 experimental horror film, Gunja and Hess, which was written and directed by Bill Gunn, who also, you know, made a little appearance in the movie. Just to let y'all know, this came out in the 70s, but I've been learning that spoilers mean you gotta give it, just in case people haven't seen it at all. Ben taught me that, because he's a cutie with a booty. Um, so there will be spoilers for this episode before we get started today. Benjamin James, how are you, dear? Better than you. you you're looking like motherfucking candy man over here with your freaking bee sting. <laughs> you, start, you start painting demonic canvases. Listen, today, well, not only is this my third bee sting of the year 2021, third, literally one in my foot, one in the back of my left arm, and now on my right hand, which is my writing hand. That's my, my, my. My jerk off hand. What are you going to do for the next couple of days? Um, not only am I having just like all of the bees loving up on me, but I found out today at Urgent Care that I'm actually allergic to bees. Yep. Which is bizarre. I, I always thought if you're allergic to something, that means like your throat swelled up. You're going to die. You're going to have a my girl moment. Have you ever seen my girl? No. Oh, well, I, I, I will not spoil for you. Can we watch my girl later tonight? Is it horror? I know, I know that we're in our horror season. It's, it's pretty horrific, the end of it is. And then I'll show you. I'll, I will post in the Patreon your reaction to the end. We've been sort of on this whole horror kick. So I want to share one of the spookiest places I ever went to. So I went to school at a, a small town in upstate New York called Nyack, right over the Tappan Zee Bridge, you know, 20 minutes from uh, the, the Bronx. And there was a place called the Witch Tunnels, which was this old abandoned World War II uh, shooting range. And it goes on forever and ever. And you basically, there are these tunnels underground and they're really disturbing. And they're called the Witch Tunnels. Go check them out. But I love that. Like, have you ever been to any like spooky places, like real spooky places? Uh, The Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, Alabama is pretty bad. Or Montgomery. Uh, that's pretty horrific. If you go as a, like a young child and you're being told like, this is a museum that's about to uplift uh, the black community and they're sure. Str- and then you go in there and you see like, this was a, an actual clan robe. Check it out. Take pics. You're like, what is this? This ain't no fucking uplift. Have you ever been to the civil rights museum in Alabama? No, it's horrifying. We went for a family reunion one year and I was like, this was, this was essentially a haunted house of horrors. Because oh you're gosh. saying bludgeoned Emmett Till as a fourth grader. And you're like, what the fuck is this? So, yeah, I've been to uh, <laughs> a little shop of horrors in the form of a history museum. But apparently the one in D.C. is not 
like that. It's like huge and it's, you know, powerful and hopeful. Wow. I know. That, that took a direction I was I've been to some expecting. haunted houses, but none as scary as like visiting the church where the four little girls were bombed. That's <laughs> not one freaking, uh, what is it called? Not a crop circle, but a hayride. None of those haunted houses I would, went to as a child was as scary as that. Hmm. Have you ever been to a haunted house? Yeah. I remember my sister's high school put one on and there was this person. Which who, like, sister? Uh, my older, my eldest sister, Bethany, okay. her high schoolers did it for a fundraiser. And this high schooler scared the shit out of me. I will never was forget. He, you know, he like tapped my shoulder and I turned around and he like yelled in my face and there was like gore and blood all over his face. It oh was, I was like maybe, you know, eight or seven. Oh, it was awful. But and it I, didn't scar you though. Cause we went to Fright Fest a couple of years back and you loved it. Yeah, I do. I do like that. I also, so this movie actually takes place. A good chunk of it takes place in Nyack, Ganja and Hess. And I love seeing uh, places from movies that I actually know. You know what I mean? Right. Does, so does the, it look the same for you? Because it's like the 70s. Yeah, no. So I worked at an after school program at the church where the ending scene takes place. And oh, I, shit. Really? Yeah. And I was like, I was pointing things out to you. I'm like, oh, that's a balcony. There, you're you're going to see a balcony. There's an entrance to the to the right. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of that I, I had recognized. And uh, sort of a funny thing. The first time I heard this movie was I'm I'm sitting down and I'm working at the Nyack Library and some man, like smooth man with like a cool hat on, uh, this, you know, uh, cool goatee, um, maybe like 60s or something. He's like, oh, what you're reading? So we start talking about him. He's like, oh, I was in a movie called Ganjin Hess and uh, I helped to make this movie. And Sam Wayman, who is uh, Nina Simone's uh, brother, and he wow. did the music. So we ended up just talking about horror and he said... I'm really excited because this movie is starting to get more attention now. And this was 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, we we talked about filmmaking, talked about music, because at this time I was studying the violin. Just a really cool guy. Like he is sort of a Nyack town staple. So I really want to take you to Nyack, sort of show you that. But have you ever seen uh, like a scene from a movie that you're like, oh, that's like real life? I, I, that sort of, I mean, more personal. Hmm. Not a horror movie, but I've definitely seen like ATL and I'm like, oh, I've been to Cascade before, you know, so you like it's recognize. like way more popping in the movie, obviously, but it's, it's still popping. Yeah. Cascade is uh, the skating rink, the skating. Yeah. So or right. I mean, you know, we watch things, especially all the time now that we live in Chicago, yeah. you'll be like, oh, this is Gotham City or this is where Candyman was filmed and things like that. So, right. Because you just went on that architecture tour and one of the scenes that are almost like a beehive building. Mm-hmm. It looks like a beehive building. That's probably why they chose it. Yeah, but there's a really great murder scene in that where there's a long, long shot zooming out where a woman gets her throat slit. And uh, But you were just, you know, I saw that on your Instagram because you logged into Instagram from my phone and I don't have Instagram. Well, you've so been invading my privacy. Yeah, a little bit. You, you did read my journal because I left it open. Did so I? So this is like me farting. <laughs> when I eat a whole Chipotle bowl in one sitting. See, I was going to like, cut this, but now I'm not going to. Shut up. What I was going to say, let, let's talk about your journal for a second. Let's talk about your motherfucking journal, okay? Because, you know, you're a writer. 
And I do my absolute best to respect your privacy when you need to get when you need to fill your journals and be on your hair at the spa. I do that, right? But there's a really like if you use my computer to write in your diary and you leave that open on my computer, you don't close out of it, and I open that diary, like I open my computer, that's on the home page. And I see my name like five times. Like, you know how everybody has this mm-hmm. thing where when sure. you see your name, you're like, oh, that I'm going to beeline sure. to my name. Especially and I'm also, egotistical actresses. And I'm, and I'm also seeing my name next to things like Amber is a world of anger. Amber is doing something, but what's the point of that thing? So I'm like, not sneak this in on my computer. So I was going to tell you about it later, you're, like explicitly. <laughs> but I, I, I try I things you out talk in my shit journal. About me in your journal, you should talk shit about me in your journal. But the well, but the I test it one, out and then I confront you, you with it. With <laughs> I so so I get all the because you know at times you you want to bring something up and it's not really the right time to do it, and so you want to test how you bring it up. Like for today, like there was a moment where we went to the emergency care. And there was something. See, I think this is a perfect time to bring this up. Uh, at Go the emergency ahead. care, I'm, I'm you had been there before because you had hurt your ankle. Amber, Amber, she's, she's wrong. the one who gets hurt, uh, which is funny because I'm more of the riskier one. Anyway, so the woman's like, you know, there's, um, you know, another $45 that you didn't pay the last time. And you're like, just just put it on. You, you were that sort of sharp. Why. You were sort of, you were sort of sharp and rude to her, and I was like, "This, you know, I wanted to say that this person did nothing to you." So it's sort I of know, like learning how really to control. It's hard to try to say like, "Hey, I'm here for urgent care," <laughs> because that's what your sign says, and you're kind of like, "Okay, well, we need forty five dollars from your last visit." It's like, sure, but can you at least act like the sky is falling? Because that's how it is for me right now. And and you have to admit that was after she had spent twenty minutes typing. And okay. so, like, yeah. if I mean, somebody's having an allergic enter. reaction, you can say like, hey, we're going to be right with you. Like, just so you know, you do have a bill of $45. Should we right. pay for that today? Like, put some urgency in it. And well, she was like, oh, well, we see something here where um, there might be a previous charge from the... I was, uh, yeah, girl, ring it up. So, I, I, we, <laughs> I'm, I'm in pain. Yeah, well, sure, whatever. I, th- I think you have to understand the difference between urgency care and emergency care. So urgency what care is... What does the word urgent mean? Urgent is we're like not doing this quickly. Because we're supposed quickly. to be talking about guns yeah, and Yeah, we, we should talk and about... And now I need some guns and hiss because I'm dealing with your motherfucking ass. Yeah. I still think you were rude to her for no apparent reason. And you should feel... And ju- just sit with that. Come back to me later. I was not rude to her, Ben. I wanted to tell you in the moment you were, but I, I didn't. was in pain. And, and I, but did I or did I not say to her, "I'm so sorry. I'm in such pain you that did. I can't even think straight." You did. You did. You, you, so what are we you, talking about? You fixed it. You fixed it. So you should have just. We're talking that, about ganja. You should have just took that to your journal. You should have just took that to your journal. So ganja well, and Hess. Well, let me say something really quickly before um, you get started. There are some people in this world that really do enjoy us. Um, you're not Thank one you. of those people, but. Uh, Dulce Defined from Apple Podcast Ratings, who does love who who does love us, is that correct? Rebecca? said, "Beloved, ah, I was so stoked to hear you guys mention Beloved. I just checked it out from my local library. Support your local libraries, and now I'm even more excited 
even more excited to start reading it. I did watch the movie when I was a little girl and remember being completely terrified, but to read and understand it as an adult is a good switch up. LOL, I listen to you guys religiously. Keep up the great work. I just wanna let our listeners know that we have not yet um, talked about Beloved on the show. We will be doing that in the future because I read Beloved, what was it, last year? Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, because everything was fucking falling apart. I saw some parts of it as a kid, but you know me, I couldn't finish it because it was a little bit too scary. Um, but we're going to read Beloved for the podcast at some yeah. point because it's so good and it's so frightening. And it's kind of loosely based on a true story um, of a slave who, you know, uh, dealt with their child, I'll say, because I don't want to spoil the book. Well, that was a common, not common, but it was things it would it's something that happened right uh, where so you, it's like historical fiction almost the book is and horror well, well yeah because there there is a ghost in it i think it would really fit well with um this this season this halloween season okay but yeah thank Maybe you we can for do it at the end of the month yeah it's, for sure. it's a great it's a great book thank you dulce for leaving an apple podcast rating and everybody else it's free to leave an apple podcast rating be sure to do that now ben why don't you kick off talking a little bit about the background of ganja and hiss yeah, so this film was supposed to be sort of like your standard black exploitation film. I think the original title was Blood Couple. When it came out, it was edited in such a way to make it seem as like just a straight horror film. And Bill Gunn, the director of this, said, no, I, I want to sort of deal with deep, you know, pontificating thoughts of like immortality and deal with love and addiction and he wanted to make a more serious movie. And uh, uh, Robin uh, Coleman, who wrote Horror Noir, sort of digs into Ganja and Hess pretty, pretty uh, deeply. It's it's a great, great film. It's got this like beautiful, sort of grainy mm-hmm. style. Nineteen seventy three. It's absolutely like fantastic. Those old style cameras. Yeah. I don't know if they think would call it grainy. They're like, that's just what the fuck we had, bitch. But, right. <laughs> but it, I, I like looking at that style now because we stream you know hbo and amazon prime yeah so it's really nice to look back and see that if you've ever seen quentin tarantino's like grindhouse with robert rodriguez uh that has that grainy sort of grindhouse feel to it i love it i mean i could not look away from this film it was so addicting yeah it kind of started a little slow for me and then when it picked up it was it was just enough action to the point where you're like i cannot look away like i can if if i go to the bathroom i'm going to miss something key here which i really enjoyed um it's also interesting because this is a vampire story but it like ben said it had a more serious theme of like dealing with addiction because you know what we know of vampires now is like you can't be in the sunlight. You have fangs. You're from Transylvania. You like to suck your blood. And it was none of that. None so you're of kind it. of like, is this still a vampire story? Yeah. It, it, the tone of it is so similar to Midnight Mass, mm-hmm. which is Mike Flanagan's new Netflix series. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Like, people should watch that it's and so then good. watch Ganja and Hess. But Literally, Amber and I were watching Midnight Mass, and I kept on pointing out scenes that are very, very similar. To Gunn and Hiss, like yeah, shot just, for shot. Yeah, shot for shot, these scenes. And also just the sobriety of it. It also really de- uh, digs deeply into this idea that Christianity is this liberating force. And Midnight Mass does. Midnight Mass and Ganjin has ultimately. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. so that's a big part of it, as well as sort of oftentimes... 
uh, like specifically the religion of Christianity, like the practice of Christianity, where if you look at vampire films, like Christian sort of symbols are used to fight vampires, but it's what I see in Ganjan Hess and Midnight, Midnight Mass is that the sort of philosophical belief and the religious belief itself, not the symbols per se, but the belief itself is what liberates you. And that sort of is what is being, you know, pushed out by Ganja and Hess and, uh, you know, Mid- Midnight Mass. Like, I, I, there's such a good paper between these two connections. And Mike Flanagan w- would have watched Ganja and Hess. Like, he knows Ganja and Hess. He, he's not, like, dicking around. Like, he, he knows what he's doing as, as far as his references go. And also those parallels between, like, those rituals you practice in the church and, like, like taking communion and doing something that symbolizes drinking blood and then these characters drinking blood is, like, so fascinating and, and interesting. Yeah. Um, let's give a little bit of a summary of what it's about to ground people who haven't seen it. The story is about... This man, Dr. Hess, who's an anthropologist, he's very wealthy, and he receives a new assistant named Meta, who ends up killing Hess very quickly, stabbing him with this special magical dagger that turns Hess into an immortal with an insatiable or insatiable appetite for blood. And after he doesn't, Meta commits suicide. And Hess decides to store his old assistant's body inside a freezer and sort of using the blood from that. Meta's wife shows up looking for him. And as one does, uh, you know, Ganja falls in love with her husband's murderer, Hess, and it ends up following their, their love story. And Hess ends up turning Ganja into a blood-sucking, desiring person and that's it yeah yeah so just to be clear meta's wife is ganja yeah so it sort of follows their story one thing i really liked about this is this idea that you know at a time where like pimps and you know shooting and heroin and drug dealing people were sort of the focal point of black exploitation fields uh, black exploitation films you have this film about like this intellectual dr hess yeah who's like world traveled and cultured and i i really like that because you know i don't know vampires are vilified in such a way where it's like this is just a doctor who's a world traveler and and this happened to him and even the way that he goes about Obviously, he has to like slain lots of his victims, but damn, most a lot of his victims <laughs> tried to kill him first. Like, remember that one scene where that prostitute or that sex worker tried to seduce him, and then they tried to rob him, and yeah, so he's her like, "Her John well, comes in, stabs yes, him." Right. Was well, so right. Like they try to um, shoot him, and obviously the bullets go right through him because he's immortal. And so it's like, at this point, I mean, I can kill y'all. Y'all tried to kill me. I didn't even come into the situation looking to suck your blood or whatever. But, I mean, here we are. And he even, like, does he like he drinks people's blood like it's almost um, 
like a nightcap with brandy. Yeah. Like like he'll pour it in a glass and then go upstairs to his attic and just like slowly sip. Um, there are a couple scenes where he's like drinking it right right from the source or right off the floor or something. But for the most part, he's like, let me just treat this like it's a a nice wine. So yeah, one of those scenes, uh, Meta ends up shooting himself in the heart after he presumably kills Hess. And as he's bleeding out on the bathroom floor, Hess awakens up from becoming immortal, sees the blood, and then like just puts his face right right down into, you know, the the pool of blood and starts slurping it up. And that scene is almost reflected, almost shot for shot from uh, Midnight Mass. And I was like, oh man, like I've definitely been there where you are on the bathroom floor just like, <laughs> slurping up wine that you might have spilled. You know, you you never did were that way. No, you never. Did you ever drink alcohol? Like you spill a shot in a bar and you just <laughs> off slurp the it floor? Up? No, that's when I know like I got a problem. Oh yeah, got it. So no, I never did that because <laughs> I never had a problem. I mean Hess, who is the the male Hess, is a badass, but like the baddest bitch in this movie is Ganja. Ganja literally finds out that her husband was slain by this man and then stored in a freezer. And she was like, oh, well, like, you know, I don't, who needs a husband? I can well, just always get a new one. <laughs> well, I think it's this idea that I, I want to be with a rich man than like being a widower for the rest of my life. And also Meta is very obnoxious. He's annoying. At the beginning of the film, he keeps on trying to tell a story and he keeps on getting distracted. Very much like me, just talks too fucking much. Right, but if somebody killed you and I found them, I found frozen you in their fridge, I probably maybe wouldn't fuck that guy. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I wonder if, first of all, it wasn't a fridge. It was a large freezer with like, with a wine, so there was a wine cellar. Sorry, if someone killed you and put you in their wine... Okay, so what you're trying to tell me is that if someone killed me and put me in their wine cellar, you'd consider having sex with them. depends what wine is in the wine cellar. (laughs) Oh my God, you're actually the worst. Um, But as far as first impressions go, what were your big things that you loved and like your immediate responses from this film? I mean, it's made in 1973, right? So contextually, it stands out above anything that was made at the time. I've watched some films like Laxploitations from the 70s, and there's a literal scene where this, you know, Hess at one point, because he realizes Meta is not uh, okay, Hess is like, listen, don't kill yourself on my property. I can't have cops uh, around here. You know, I am, you know, his word, it, words are like, I'm the only black man in this neighborhood. Look around you. And he doesn't call the cops after you know, uh, Meta kills himself because he's like, I'm still afraid. Even though I'm a wealthy, educated black man, mm-hmm. or I'm still a, saying. yeah, I'm still a, you don't say black. I'm still a black man at right. the end of the day. So I can't have people coming around on my property. I mean, that, that line just felt like something that would show up in a Jordan Peele film, right? It, it just, it seemed Very so, yeah, realistic. so smart. Like the film is, incredibly smart it needs to be playing you know you know on tv during halloween season right it's an important film i fully agree i hate that we have to dig for this movie um i think it's it's so relevant to everything that's going on now in horror and there was um one monologue that gunja had in the film that i feel like made us sit up in our seats and just listen. It's about two to three minutes long and I'm going to play it here because I love it so much and I just want to like really unpack it. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Let's listen to it. Bear with me because it was the seventies, but here it goes. 
when I was about 10 or 12 years old, my favorite time of the year was winter because of the snow. And I made the best snowballs in all of Boston. I was in the best snowball fights, and I always won. This particular day, it was just snowballs flying. That was all you could see. That was all you could feel. Some hit hard. Some hit soft and fell all over, fell down behind your collar. You could feel it in your muffler. And I got home about 6.30 or 7, because I've been fighting since 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And my mother said, where have you been? And I said, I've been having this tremendous snowball fight. It's really fun. And I beat everybody, and everybody beat me. It was a tremendous day. And she slapped my face and said, where have you been? Someone said they saw you being chased by a boy. I said, we were all chasing each other because we were having a snowball fight. And she said, you are a liar and a slut. And I said, I swear to you that I was having a snowball fight. And she didn't believe me. She never believed me. It was as though I was a disease. I have a brother that's 10 years older than I am. I have a sister that's eight years older than I am. So that I was obviously an accident. And it was, it was ganja. I came down with ganja, you know. And I think that day I decided that I was a disease and I was going to give her a full case of it. Yeah, that monologue, again, deals with a fractured parental relationship, this need for self-sustenance, sustenance, this need for self-sustenance which eventually Ganja takes on her own. Like by the end of the film, right, she makes the decision to remain immortal where Hess does not. And that's just fucking brilliant. Like women taking, you know, their own control of the situation. I mean, Amber, you, you definitely know something about that, just taking control of everything. <laughs> I know a couple things about that, but I... the. Even the end of this movie gave me horror, like ex machina vibes. It's like I'm going to use my use the hand that I've been dealt, which in Ganja's case and in um, Alicia Vikander's case, beauty and strength. And I'm gonna always look out for self. Um, if I continue this monologue, Ganja goes on to say that the only thing her mom liked about her was her beauty, and she she loathed how beautiful she was because she was then you know more likely to be called a slut, more likely to not be believed when things happen. And you see throughout this movie, Ganja using her beauty to say like, I know this is the reason why you think I'm vulnerable and weak and, but I'm not. And I'm going to lure you in with my beauty. And then I'm going to literally like slit your throat. Cause I need to survive. And I fuck with the kid. 
you know, she's gorgeous and she is not to be played with. Like she's kind of an asshole even to the servant at the house. And you're kind of like, what is her deal? Like, why is she so ruthless? But we're talking about the woman who moved in with her husband's killer and married this man. Like Ganja looks out for number one. She was like, you're the most rich colored doctor in this county. I'm moving in. And like you said, later Hess decided to kill himself because he's like, I'm sick of being immortal. Like, let's do this together. And then she was like, after Hess killed himself, Ganja was like, mm, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. And the way he ends up finding his ability to kill himself because he can't kill himself, right? Mm -hmm. And so he just runs around killing prostitutes, stealing from blood banks. And so he has to go to a church and there's this very, you know, whole, you know, uh, holistic there's this very intense religious black church scene where he walks up by himself and he gets prayed over and he catches the holy ghost and now he's liberated and then he can stand in front of the shadow of the cross and finally die and hopefully receive salvation and as he's doing that you know hess is begging ganja to join him and she's like nah bro like I'm I'm good. Or she's even sort of pretending like I I'll go next. Like you jump off the cliff first. Like I'm right behind you on my way. Yeah. And then, you know, he metaphorically jumps and she's like, I'm okay. Yeah. And she kind of like moves on quickly after that because one of the so one of he, uh no, one of Ganja's first kills was a guy who she seduced had sex with. I mean, that was a long sex scene. Though. I was like, I was like, at this point, we're just watching a porno. Um, but she uses his blood. But later, Ganja discovers that he isn't completely dead. And there's this one scene where you can hear this labored breath of a human being. I think it's as Hess is killing himself. And even as that scene was happening, I was like, Ben, that's the guy that's not fully dead that Ganja peeped. And I think Ganja later went to, you know, save that guy. I, I say air quote save because she's probably going to pretend to liberate him and live with him and then eventually dispose of him as well in the ways that she feels like she's been disposed of her entire life. Yeah, it's great. I mean, Is this it's great. It's great. Great writing. You mean it's great. I mean, it's great for her. Yeah. You know? Like she, she's doing what she is needed. And again, these, these monologues are, are also like showing that horror doesn't have to be this like jump in your face, but there are some really incredibly terrifying close-up scenes. For example, when Hess makes the decision to stab Ganja with the spike that would turn her into a vampire and sort of you see her mouth sort of wide open up sort of half screen, almost, uh, half screen, almost like a image of Scream, uh, the movie Scream, like the, you know, terrifying look and really, really beautifully done. Question. Answer. <laughs> As you've been teaching me more about horror and fantasy and sci-fi, would Gunja fall into the final girl trope? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. You see why I didn't consider that at first because it's not like you started with like a full cast well no I, I think well you have anybody in the movie right and you do sort of have a full cast for example the butler gets slain and killed uh presumably by the man that uh ganja you know was having sex with for her first kill mm -hmm. and also that whole scene Could you explain the final girl trope for people who haven't heard oh yes yeah, so, uh, the final girl is usually 
um, in horror films. It's, I think, originally, let me get this. So, yeah, Carol Clover in Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which is a great title. She came up with the final girl uh, trope. It's it's basically women in horror films who use their... um, abilities to overcome the monster and in this case ganja uses her abilities to overcome the monster hess because hess is the one who is the original you know abuser in this sense or you can make the case meta is but yeah i would label ganja as a final girl you can disagree with us listeners you know weigh in on this but yeah for sure i think so cool i just wasn't sure if it's like if there's mainly a cast of only two people (laughs) and one of them dies it's like are you just obviously the final girl or yeah i think i think you can still include that because there are there are other women who get killed by the monster in this film my dream is to fall into the final girl trope yeah i think you could do it and also the final girl has to be someone (laughs) what are the implications of that well yeah (laughs) well the final girl, girl has to be someone who 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 has to discover themselves almost right like you can't just be a badass from the beginning Ah. and go through all of this you know like underworld if you ever seen underworld like kate uh beckinsale or whatever like she she's you know she survives and it's a horror film and there's vampires but she's so badass to begin with like she wouldn't really fall into the final girl kind of trope Gotcha. So we see some like development within the final final girl, yeah. which is like why she is the final girl. We we went on that journey with her. Uh, I love Ganja so much. I sh- sh- I had seen her before. Um, the actor Marlene Clark. She is Lamont's girlfriend in Sanford and Son. You know that's like my dad's favorite show. Oh, yeah. So it it was nice to be like, where do I know her from? And and that's where. The last thing I want to talk about is Christianity the colonizer's religion because you have this Murthia religion from Africa mm-hmm. as being this religion that provides immortality. Like, you know, it, it comes with the desire for blood, almost an addiction to blood. And so the only way to get rid of this evil African religion is to find redemption in the cross, which is a colonizer's religion. And I, I think that's, I think there's... I think there's danger in that. Well, well, what happens, though, is that the hero of the film is someone who doesn't embrace that, right? So is the film saying that redemption is found in the cross, or does that just ultimately lead to death and, and destruction? Because that's what, you know, Christianity, this polytheistic religion is, you know, it just leads to death, where the indigenous African religion leads to everlasting life. So it sort of just plays with that a little bit. It does because that is the whole draw of Christianity, everlasting life, not like immortal, but it's like do well here. So that in the afterlife you can live forever and see all of your people and see MLK junior (laughs) doctor comma, um, or, or, everything about Christianity is about like, what are you doing now to be, have an eternal life in the future? You know, all of the, the lingo and things like that. So it's interesting that this African tribe is actually the key to eternal life. And I, I think what they're getting at is what you said, like the former, what you said, which is 
redemption leads to death. <laughs> yeah, redemption through through this colonizer's religion leads to death. I think that's a, a cool point to make. I mean, I don't really fuck with polytheism, which is why I'm not Christian. Well, yeah. I think, I mean, that's I think it was trying to do a great balance. I know. I think it's trying to do a, a balance of both because some of those church scenes were like, we were at the church. They were long. It was also interesting because, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist and I was like, why do I know all of these songs? Like, we have not gotten any new songs in That's this funny. religion. Now, we have gotten some new songs, but obviously, like, some of those, like, old church Negro spirituals are sang in those country churches that I still frequent at times. Well, they hired an actual church congregation and filmed them. Right, but isn't it bizarre? Not bizarre, but, like just interesting that some of the hymns sang are like I could go to my grandma's church in Eatonton, Georgia today and they would be singing that song. Yeah, I think it's certain elements of Christianity. Uh, but if you look at sort of mega churches, they're playing a lot of modern kinds of music. They're writing new uh, songs uh, because there's this whole idea within the modern uh, worship music uh, industry that one, you make money off of new music. So keep on writing new worship songs. Two, uh, they take the word, you know, sing a new song to the Lord, right? For he is good and righteous and his mercy endures forever. They take that Bible verse and literally you should be writing new songs. So it's a monetary reason and a scriptural reason. But yeah, I, I think this film sort of leads into this idea that, you know, they can't do it explicitly, but Christianity is, you know, not good. Do, do you think that this congregation knew what they were getting into when they no, signed up for this? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Literally, there's like a porn. They have like at the end of this uh, the movie, there's these children singing, and there's literally a porno in this film. So what does that even look like? You're like, I, hey, we're making a horror film. Can we film some of y'all's church? Yeah. Uh, so do you think they were like, well, we're just so happy to be in a film. Like, no, who cares about I mean, what it is? <laughs> yes, I know it the ethics of like filmmaking have definitely changed from 1973 where right now it's unethical to make a film without informing someone about what the film is going to be used for, especially if you're including children within the film as right. well. Right. Tons like, of kids. Like the whole outro is just cute little kids singing that are probably all like 80 years old now. Yeah. Well, your parents age. So like 54, 55, sixties. 1973 you'd be oh, eight, yeah. years, eight years old right very true i mean well some members of the congregation were like teen to grown yeah. adults but yeah, yeah it's so interesting to be like we're gonna be in a movie dad it's like okay well let's go see it when it comes out and Whoops. then it's gunja and hiss and it's like titties and blood everywhere yeah and at that point i think it would just be called blood couple which was even more graphic they just focus on the graphic scenes and sort of took out the pornographic scenes didn't put them in context so Bill Gunn was also, just a, a quick side note before we wrap up here, Bill Gunn was also in the movie. He played Dr. Meta, who was going a little bit unhinged. You remember? Yeah, uh, not, not. I, I don't think he goes by Dr. Meta. I think he, he's just Meta. Or he, Meta. He's he's an assistant. Assistant so. Meta, I apologize. And then the, the lead of this movie, Dwayne Jones, was in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And there's been a lot of discourse around like, how they didn't even originally intend to cast a black person, but he showed up that day and he was so good that they were just like, this character is going to be black now. Yeah, I mean, George Romero says that, but 
I, you know, I think that's a lot of people think that's untrue. Well, shit, just lie to me because <laughs> the well, world, it was the world fucking sucks. So, oh, you think it wasn't that he intentionally casted him? I think he intentionally casted him. And uh, yeah, there's a whole story about Night of I the Living they're... Dead where he was driving it the day, you know, MLK was shot and killed. Like there's no. I think sometimes you don't intend to like, why, what, what, what purpose would he have to lie about that? I think this, like I've definitely showed up for a casting call and they've been like, we didn't even write this part for a girl, but you are making us consider it being a girl instead of a boy or something like that. I think I'm considering race politics at that time where it was more beneficial for you to say this black character is just a great actor, right? So that you could avoid this idea of being accused of, you know, just choosing someone because they're black because that would, you know, create cries of reverse racism, reverse racism. And I think George Romero was probably protecting Dwayne Jones um, as as an actor for that time. So I think he was playing mm. a certain kind of specific racial politics where now we're very explicit, where we're like, we need diversity. There was no right. diversity conversation. It was just Good actors, right? Which is, of course, sort of a, a lie in and of itself. Yeah. Well, uh, I was. Th- it made me think about, you know, because everything is about me. It made me think about when I auditioned for Little Orphan Annie as a middle schooler and didn't up. get the part, even though I was markedly better than the little white girl they chose. And they were like, I mean, they said in so many ways, like, if Annie was black, like that would change, like it, the the plot wouldn't make sense or like whatever, or Amber looks too old to be the part, which is basically a way of saying like her ass and titties are too big. She can be Miss Hannigan. I, I, I was cast as Miss Hannigan, which, you know, I stole the show and shut that down. But I remember them being like, well, it wouldn't make any sense if this was like the Great Depression and there's a black child staying at a white orphanage. Like they, they just couldn't wrap their minds around like, how can we justify this if this is the case? And I think the only, ex- the only example of that we had at the time of we're not going to justify, we're just going to do it is like Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella. Yeah. So if you, I guess if you did that after that, you were just mocking that film or whatever. Oh, when it's really even, just like, I mean, that's who fucking true. cares? Like, I'm a kid too. I sing better than this bitch. Like, put me in the role. Like, it, nobody after the show is gonna be like, well, we can't have a black Annie. Well, Annie's an orphan with a fucking afro. Like, what you mean you can't have a black Annie? Well, yeah, that whole I, that whole logical that whole thinking is absurd, right? Because there are whole films where they take place in prison, and most of the inmates are white. Right. Right. But the, you know, if you're going to be accurate, most of the prisoners or at least 50% would be black. Correct. Right. Uh, so that, you know. Or it's like, well, what sense would it make racist. for a millionaire to want to adopt a black child? Like they could not. And I'm like, y'all know everything y'all are saying is just so, racist. Yeah. White people adopt black kids all the time, but go off. Like this is a fucking fake-ass fictional play. Well, so that type of conversation works in benefit for the white child, but I think going back to George Romero's point with Dwayne Jones, he was basically not saying, I chose him because he was black. I chose him because he was a good actor, right? And if he, if George Romero in the 1960s said, I chose this, act, chose this actor because he was black, that would have hurt Dwayne Jones as an actor. Gotcha. 
So I think he was playing a racial politic. And I think it was both, right? He chose him yeah. because he was black and he was a good actor and it, it was subversive in, in, in and of itself. So, but anyway. Well, you've seen Night of the Living Dead. Did you stand? I like it. It's so good, you know. Barbara. Barbara. I haven't seen it, so I'm oh, just so enjoying good. you saying that on the mic. Yeah. They're coming to get you, Barbara. That's uh, the opening I'm scene. I'm so excited. Ben and I are... You know, just making a a point to watch spooky movies all spooky TV shows, yeah, spooky everything all uh, October long. Obviously, we're going to cover black sci-fi horror and every, all the things on this show. But let us know what y'all are watching right now as well. And with that being said, Ben, why don't you warp up the show, baby? A warp drive, yes, love it. Okay, in conclusion. Ganjin Hess deserves all the academic studies and also deserves to be on bar TVs during Halloween time, silently. Or, or Period. Because you know? it's always Hocus Pocus, which we love. Or like, you know, like, you know, there's lots Night of Night in the Living Dead, which we love. But yeah, this should be on at bars during Halloween. It's like the biggest compliment I can think of. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side Podcast. Up next for episode 56, we will be watching Tales from the Hood. Pew, 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 pew. We're taking it back with our black classics. So be sure to watch Tales from the Hood and we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.